Just don't give up. I mean, you're gonna make it. Half my life is over, and I have nothing to show for it. Nothing. I'm a thumbprint on the window of a skyscraper. I'm a smudge of excrement on a tissue, surging out to sea with a million tons of raw sewage. See, right there. Just what you just said. That is beautiful. A smudge of excrement, surging out to sea. Yeah. I can never write that. Neither could I, actually. I think it's Bukowski. Episode 83 of the Cult of Matt Mark Cult Film Review Podcast. I'm Matt. And I'm Mark. And make sure to visit our blog at cultfilmreview.blogspot.com or shoot us an email at cultfilmreview at gmail.com. And if you're interested, i got a book coming out, uh, Nova Byzantium, uh, published by Mask Books, M-A-S-Q-U-E, sometime in October. So head over to the website and check it out. Uh, this week, our film is the 2004 Actually, Oscar winner, I believe. I was or nominated, something of that caliber. A comedy drama uh, written by Jim Taylor and Alexander Payne. Let's see, a little plot rundown. Uh, directed by Alexander Payne, Sideways follows Miles, played by Paul Giamatti, who is distressed about his lack of success as a novelist, and Jack, played by Thomas Hayden Church, an equally unsuccessful actor with a rapidly approaching wedding. In a last-ditch effort to sow their wild oats, Jack and Miles take off on a final road trip to California's wine country the week prior to Jack's wedding. Both men have goals for the vacation. Miles wants to turn Jack on to the art of wine tasting while Jack is concerned with exploiting his last days as a bachelor. But when the two men come across two fascinating women, played by Virginia Madsen and Sandra Oh, the duo is forced to examine their morality. Yeah, it is, it is really an interesting study of these two men. In their lives, I, I found myself really interested in both of the characters and see how they s- are sort of a strange, almost like brethren in the way they both have their own their de- their own personal demons. And it's really interesting how they sort of have come to terms with them because if you do have demons at forty, which we, of course we're way too young to know anything about, no. I'm guessing that uh, you have to. You sort of have to come to recognize your own faults and shortcomings as well as your skills and in a certain sense come to some sort of acceptance. Mark's waxing on here. Well, don't you think that's what sort of what this movie is about? These two guys and, and their, you know, their their abilities, you know, what they're good at and what they're bad at. Well, okay, so they're both kind of artists to a certain extent. One's a struggling novelist one's a struggling actor so they're in a field or they're engaging in a field that requires uh recognition by a crowd of people to whatever whatever the whole je ne sais quoi of art is they they need a an audience all artists need an audience to a certain degree and uh they're struggling to get an audience in their later age and they're all both past their prime uh, and so it kind of leaves them a little bit into this midlife murk, a sort of slow eddy of coming to uh, 
realization that your your talents are extremely limited in this world and that uh you just might not have made it that you are just a smudge yeah, of excrement right. on a piece of tissue surging <laughs> right i know um oh by the way rose's mom not a big fan of this movie uh, sorry, <laughs> why is rose's mom not a fan of this movie i think she found the characters really unlikable and i've heard that well criticism the the characters are men and well, I, okay. I, this movie doesn't really speak to women in any way. This movie only really speaks to men. And I guess yeah. I'm not surprised that a woman wouldn't like this movie because it really has nothing to say. Uh, not to women, other than men get extremely pathetic and depraved uh, as they get older. <laughs> I mean, they fall asleep uh, reading Barely Legal and drunk on a bottle of wine. And, oh, uh, I, I love it. I love it when Miles is sitting there with the barely legal, and he's actually reading it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's no, he's he's not spanking. He's, he's not spanking the monkey. He falls asleep with it on his stomach. His pants still up, <laughs> and then it slides off, and then it wakes him up. And then that's is that when Thomas Hayden Church comes through naked? I, I don't remember. Uh, no, no, no. He's just he's just coming back uh, from his first night with uh, uh, oh. with uh, uh, Sandra O oh. with yeah. Stephanie. So. Um, yeah, that is that is really fascinating. It's something pathetic about a man with reading glasses, a pair of readers, thumbing through a barely legal. It's just something sort of sad then, about that. They even put the scene in there where he has to ask for the barely legal at the convenience store. Have you ever been on the tr- on a trip in your twenties and you go, God, I could really use a spank right about now, and you had to go to the nearest convenience store and grab yourself a pornographic magazine that's just going to be left in the garbage at the hotel. No, because my shame runs too. <laughs> you're you're close too shamed to, to, to go buy a porno mag yes. in a city you're never yes. going to be back into. I know. Well, how would you? How do you ever come to possess pornography? Uh, it was. Uh, You'd always just find routes. it secondhand. <laughs> yeah, kinda. I hate to say it. I that's right. Really... You never liked going to those uh, porno porno stores back no. in the day when that's where you got your pornography. I always found I them so fascinating. They were always <laughs> just such interesting places, full of guys just looking for spank material. It's really weird. It's like no other store. On it's the planet. such a necessary evil. That's the problem with it. It's like a oh, shameful necessary it's nothing, evil. It's nothing evil about it. It's a blast. Well, okay, all right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess as any bodily functions a necessary evil. Yeah, it's like going to the store. It's like, do you feel bad when you buy the the uh, the uh, 144 rolls of TP at uh, Costco? Everybody's yeah, just, I'm right. going to wipe my ass with this stuff. <laughs> good point. That's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah, no, I never thought about that way. All right, well, we've deviated from the uh, philosophical quantum. No, I don't think so. This movie's basically <laughs> all philo- philosophy. This well, is not, okay, so- nothing but a philosoph- philosophical study of the midlife man. So I was watching this, and it bring to mind brang. Is that a word? Brang to mind. Brang is a word not very commonly used in American English. Okay, I just used oh, brought it. Brought so is the more that. common uh, oh, form of brought. that word. Yeah, but I believe uh, brang t- is a is legitimate word that's fallen out of use. Another movie we reviewed, uh, Swingers, where you had similar a similar uh, character duo. You had. Uh, I forget the names now. There was Mike played by John Favreau and the Vince Vaughn character, and I don't remember. But, well, you you had like a similar uh, dynamic going. You had somebody who is probably, what, you know, a year to two years over a relationship, and then his swinging buddy or his uh, pussyhound buddy 
trying to snap him out of it and sort of the misconnection between the two characters. I, I, is, I certainly saw the echoes. I know what you're talking about, but God, there's still something about this movie that rings true, yet Swingers rings false with me. I guess I, it, I guess I don't quite understand why that is. Could it be that just age adds a certain gravitas? Not gravitas. It's a terrible. I use that word too much. Uh, a certain integrity to a character. I don't think that's it. I think it's uh, strictly lacked on the movie. This movie is more well made and written than Swingers. Yeah. Well, that it is. And uh, just one, one, one thing. Have you ever been California wine tasting? I have never gone wine tasting. You know, be quite honest with you, wine's fine. It's a nice beverage, and I certainly drink was, it from time to as time. Jack says, as, as Jack says, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah, that's sort of how I feel about wine. You know, look, if it has too much of a turpentine taste, you know, or it's too bitter, or right. if it's got too much of a vinegar taste, I won't drink it, but... Generally, you know, I'll drink I'll drink whatever you're serving. And be quite honest with you, almost all wine is perfectly drinkable these days. Well, so I haven't, I haven't gone down that rabbit hole, but I think a lot of people do. And look, it's a fine hobby. You can spend a lot. You can spend all. You can do it at all sorts of price levels. You can spend a lot, or you can spend a little and still have a lot of fun. Well, I I'm maybe going to be a little hypocritical because I'm a Scotch nerd. I guess I'm a. a uh, big into scotch. And yeah, but you like wouldn't go to a scotch tasting, right? No, I've been to them. Yeah, okay. I've been to scotch tasting, of course. <laughs> and did uh, you heard? Have you? Did you uh, catch those notes of vanilla, and no. then the slight hint of sea spray? No, 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 no. I caught like the the slight hint of smooth and really smooth, and oh, I'm shit faced. That's kind of <laughs> right, you know. But uh, I. But we can both tell the difference between Scoresby. And a nice uh, uh, Lafroque or whatever it's well, called. Well, I would say with like beer and scotch, the notes or the contrast between the varieties, not the varietals. That's a that's a wine. That's a wine word. Is uh, a lot more distinct. Wine to me, I can maybe tell the difference between the grapes. Like I know Merlots are heavy, Zinfandels are light. I fucking hate Chardonnays. They make me want to puke. Uh, you know, the uh, Cabernet Sauvignons are like the really straight up mellow ones. I know like sort of the difference, but the minutia, all that bullshit that Miles goes on about, about, you know, the oak and the fruit and uh, uh, all that just, just made up bullshit adjectives that people use to describe wine. Uh you know, is 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 so contrived that it you really you really don't think that uh, Scotch snobs have as much contrivery as uh, oh no they do as uh, snobs of wine. I can't believe well, there's much difference between the two as far as how down how far down the rabbit hole of bullshit you can go if you want. No, I've read some pretty ridiculous Scotch labels, and a lot of them I don't even really they they, they don't make any sense. Uh, uh, there's a few that are like. Pear, you get that a lot in mm-hmm. wine or in Scotch description. A little hint of pear, but what I what I what I get in wine and Scotch is flavors like <laughs> medicinal, which means it tastes like band aids or uh, soap. You get a soapy flavor with mm-hmm. really old whiskeys, but wine, like all that, like uh, you know, that crap is just like there was a there was some like Freakonomics has gone into this, and there's been a 
bunch of articles online about how wine tasting is more or less bullshit uh, because they go into a lot of test case. One of them was some MIT students who were on a fellowship, and part of the deal was is they had to go have dinner with the fellows once a month who are the uh, tenured you know, aristocracy of the department, whatever. And they, they were into wine. And so they would pull out really expensive bottles of wine and charge it to the fellowship. And, you know, these, these poverty ridden grad students would be drinking hundred, two hundred dollar bottles of wine. And they're like, well, this is bullshit. They could be spending that. I could be spending that money on groceries or something. So they played a trick on them where they substituted all the expensive wines with like Chuck Shaw, real cheap shit. And got more or less the same consensus and uh, uh, from the professors as they did when they were cracking expensive bottles. And then when they uh, pulled the tablecloth out from underneath the whole thing and exposed the ruse, uh, everybody came up with excuses. One guy said, oh, I had a cold. Another guy was like, um, oh, I forget what was – I forget the, the litany – of excuses they had. And, uh, Oh, a lot of them were just pissed off. Like here they spent maybe 25 bucks on wine for the whole night. And they were enraged that they had, you know, somebody had pulled a fast one on them. Uh, so there's crap, like little, little anecdotes like that. Uh, they were going into adjectives versus prices of bottles of wine. And they found that certain adjectives were only reserved for really expensive bottles of wine like velvety and, uh, I don't know, sort of these lush, uh, decadent adjectives were only used for expensive bottles of wine because they knew they were expensive. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. It, it's To me, it's just it's, it's kind of a bunch of bullshit. But it doesn't detract from the whole wine tasting experience. And it is a lot of fun. And I've done it two or three times. Uh, one of them was in Temecula. California, which is north of San Diego near Escondido. And it was a lot of fun. It was a, a marathon because we were in a limo. And the problem with that is is that you drink five pours, and I don't know how much a pour is. It's a couple ounces or something like that of, of all their selections. So you get these tokens, and uh, you plop them down. So you're having a couple that. drinks per place, basically. You're having like, yeah, I'd say like a couple of stiff drinks per place and so you go there you drink and then that's about all there is to do and you kind of wander around look at the californian countryside and you know be hoity-toity and then uh you get into the limo but the problem was is like the limo was it was only like five minutes apart from winery to winery so <laughs> you want like a nice 15 to 20 minutes just to chill out and wear off the buzz a little bit, but before you know it, you're piling out of the limo again and doing the same thing all over again. There's like five or six wineries in a tour. So you're just, it's, you don't get drunk. You just get tired because it's like hot usually. And you're just like, Oh Jesus, you know, how many more chocolate ports can I drink <laughs> before I fall asleep in the back of the limo? So, so anyway, uh, were they nice wineries or were they, uh, like, uh, what was it? Sassafras Vineyards in this yeah, movie? Sassafras. Yeah. Where all the uh, elderly people are getting off the, the big uh, uh, buses like they use to move people around to and from uh, casinos? Yeah. No, there's a few of those, but yeah, it was Temecula, so it's like a minor 
California wine right. wine region. But uh, that was a great scene because you just got the commercialized uh, version of what you know Miles despises, and not for any good reason. He just you know he's a snob. And so he goes in there and tries to get a full pour off the guy. And it's like, sir, no, I can't give you a full one. I had, I have a hard time believing that there's no such thing as bad wines. If you go to the supermarket that a, there's a, there's a significant, there must be a chunk of those wines. I feel that won't taste good. Well, it tastes good to you. Like I because, said, I hate, but, I hate Chardonnay. Chardonnay makes me want to yak. But there you, but with Scotch, you know, Scoresby them. is bad. Oh yeah, well it's cheap, right? So well, there must there has to be a similar thing in wine. Are you well, saying this, that doesn't exist in wine? Well, with wine, with Scotch, it's a, it's there's a, a a kind of a more common denominator, and it's uh, age, and age is a significant factor in smoothness. Uh, young Scotches are fiery; uh, they usually have a little bit higher alcohol content. The flavor of the cask hasn't seeped into it as much so it's pretty dramatic and like as they get older they get smoother and that's why if you get a 50 year old whiskey it's gonna taste as smooth as silk and uh it'll be like have the consistency of syrup because there'll be hardly any of the whiskey left in the cask once they drain it because it's all pretty much evaporated out through the wood but with wine they they put it in oak but they kind of put it in for a standard aging of maybe a year or less, and then they bottle it, and then it's done. And so they get into more about region, soils, climate, uh, seasons. Like, oh, 91 was a real hot year in California, and the wines taste completely different than the wines in 92 where they had a wet year, and, you know, there's this whole thing. Um, How much of that really manifests into what a fruit tastes like? I haven't a clue. I mean, I've I just I just can't help but think that wine has a greater range of flavors available to it than distilled spirits, simply because there's no distillation process in wine. You're taking fruit extract and you're drinking that ex that fermented extract. With for, with distilled distilled spirits, you're drinking a, an aged distillate. So I would it would seem that through that dis distilling step you're really excluding most of the available flavors from the your, your fermenting the, the sugar solution you're fermenting so i have to i have to believe that there's i know we're have i'm having this argument with somebody who likes scotch but i have a feeling i would have the exact same argument with somebody who liked wine complaining about how simple distilled spirit flavors are and how the real complexity is in in, in wines you see what i mean well Okay, but the problem is, I mean, you're, when you're talking about distilled spirits, you're talking a lot about impurities, and uh, that is what adds a lot of flavor to it. But with wine, it's just so fruity. I mean, it's a fruit. It's like it's fruit, fruit punch. juice, man. It's fucking fermented yeah, but fruit, fruit juice, is- and so you get overwhelmed with the fruit juice aspect of it. And I don't know. I, I don't. My palate isn't isn't as refined to break out all those silly little flavors. So uh, we've talked about wine enough. Uh, I've let my opinions be known. Mark's mm-hmm. played devil's advocate. So uh, the film. And uh, the other part of the film, one of the reasons I love this film is because uh, Miles is a struggling novelist. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've actually maybe gotten a little bit more success than Miles, I say. 
I say that with some trepidation. Your book has been accepted by a small specialty publisher. Correct. Well, his and, was his was rejected by a small specialty publisher. But to be fair, Miles does have a literary agent, which he called on the phone there mm-hmm. at uh, one of the wineries. And I think I've talked to my agent on the phone maybe three times mm. in my entire writing endeavor over the past five years. So, uh, well, so he has an agent, but you can tell this is his one novel and it's gigantic because he gives that huge... Uh, Ream to uh, the Maya character. Really, you think it's his first one? I, I had a feeling it's not his first that he's he shopped around, just from uh, some of the okay. interactions he's having with some of the the people. Though this maybe is the one where he finally felt like it was time to pour his heart into it, where he finally felt that he had reached the skill level he's capable of in writing, and this was this was him giving it his all. It's not disclosed what book number this is so i guess that's left to uh left to interpretation but uh so he's his agent is shopping the novel to the big publishers and i guess that's where he's at at the moment um but my agent shopped my novel to the big i think they call them the big five now it used to be the big six which is the big uh publishing houses and no well they're all imprints of like random house and penguin Oh. And Bantam and all these kind of bigger uh, publishers, they all have like their science fiction imprint and their, uh, I don't know, whatever, uh, romance imprint and stuff. So, yeah, but, you know, Tor, Orbit, Pyre, Ace, all those I've been submitted to. And uh, I have, I'm looking at a whole stack of rejection notes <laughs> on my computer at the moment. And I was just going to read read one. Here for our listeners, and it's actually this is rejection from uh, I think it's Ace, and I forget it's Ace Doubleday. I forget the publishing outfit, but uh, anyway, here's the rejection for the book I'm 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 uh, pimping on this podcast, Nova Byzantium. Apologies for the delay in responding, and thank you so much for sending Nova Byzantium. I appreciate appreciate the opportunity to see it, and I'm sorry to say this doesn't seem right for us. It's an interesting idea, but I'm afraid it w- I wasn't caring about the characters the way I want to, and so the story ended up feeling dry to me. I hope you will find a good home for this with another publisher, and thank you again for thinking of me. So I have these ad infinitum. <coughs> well, they did and, get the uh, time to give some criticism. Mm. I guess... If it well, was honest, there's got to be some value in that. See, there's the thing, and, and I, I stare at these rejections, and uh, they used to piss me off, but now I've really come to terms with them. But the thing about writing is that you have degrees of success. Getting an agent is a degree of success, which Miles has achieved. And uh, having just having people in like these big publishing houses just reading your shit and giving you some feedback – is kind of worth its weight in gold. And you don't ever get that just plunking away, uh, usually uh, writing stuff that you don't know if it's good or not. That's always been my problem, getting people to read it and give me valuable criticism, Mm -hmm. as opposed to getting somebody like Jack to read your novel and give you you some comments back. Yeah, I really, it's a real, you really tightened it up. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I guess that's why this movie really sort of, uh, I have some affection for it, uh, I guess just from an experience level on the Paul Giamatti character. So uh, anyway, but the, 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 it's a, is it a, com- is he a complex character? 
Is he, you know, what's he going through exactly? Is he uh, worthy of his kind of depressive catharsis, or does he need to be stabbed out of it like Jack keeps uh, uh, advocating throughout I mean, the film? You, you're asking me what is Miles' problem? Well, I mean, is, is he... He has uh, one main problem. He has a main problem that's really probably the source of most of all his troubles. And go into it. What is it? He's an alcoholic. He is an alcoholic. That's yeah. that's that's probably what broke up his marriage. That's why probably why his writing hasn't taken off. Probably why his career didn't take off. Really? It's probably why you he's just depressed. brought up something that I haven't. I didn't really you, consider all that. I much. mean, this is this is um, this is. I was talking earlier about how I think Jack and Miles are sort of interesting reflections. They're sort of the same basic character where you've swapped out a couple of pieces. Miles' great passion is wine and writing. But his great hobby is wine. He loves wine. He loves tasting it. But it's also the core of his alcoholism. It's his great passion and the great destructor of his life, all rolled into one. It, he, he loves it, and it destroys him. And so, it's, the, it's the core conflict that causes him to be depressed because it's a there's no answer you can't love something and have it destroy you at the same time it's you just you can't i mean unless you want to be destroyed and i don't think he necessarily does but puts him in a terrible situation that he doesn't find an answer to in this whole film and i think most people don't necessarily find an answer to it maybe he'll come to an agreement with it at some point but i don't think he'll ever be free of it that's interesting because i for whatever reason, ignored his alcoholism throughout the whole film. Oh, Jesus. And, it's I mean, he gets drunk, well, un- inappropriately drunk at uh, a few, like three times in this movie. Yeah. No, you're Destructively right. drunk. You're, you're right. Well, that's interesting. Why didn't I ever pick up on that as being like the fundamental crux of his issue? I mean, it like starts out with him waking dependent. up hungover late right. to go on the vacation with... Uh, with Jack and Jack, it's free to call him out on it. He calls them out on it over and over again. I mean, right at the beginning, he goes, you're hungover, you're late, thanks a lot. You know, I was dying in there. You know, he's right. at dinner with the girls, you know. Look, we talked about this. You're not supposed to drink. And yet he got drunk. There's this scene where uh, Jack uh, grabs the bottle and puts it back down when he starts to pour again. There's that scene. Do you remember? At, at the table. Yeah. And when he loses his book contract... His first in- instinct is to get drunk. Yeah, I mean, he's just an after, alcoholic, but he loves wine too. It's a see, it's a weird mantle to put on an alcoholic because alcoholics, uh, you always think of as the truly depraved, you know, drinking the aqua velva mm-hmm. kind of alcoholics. You don't think of the, uh, I don't know, he's not really affluent. He's sort of a, he's just uh, hanging on as a teacher there. Uh, yeah, but he's he, he just wine you always associate with a higher class, and uh, to be like a fine wine alcoholic, uh, I don't know. He cuts some corners in order to be able to drink good wine. Yeah, well, I mean, he lives in like kind of a modest apartment. Yeah, and you know, his divorce probably sort of ruined his finances. Oh, yeah, there's that. Plus, and he's not really right. probably pulling down bank teaching middle school English, so. And then he grabs the bottle after he learns that his uh, ex-wife is pregnant, and then he goes to uh, the the hamburger stand and starts chugging it in a styrofoam yeah, cup. Yeah, you know it's 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 weird. It's not really sad so much as 
it's just his life and he's got he's been doing this his whole life is he's never going to not drink and he's never going to not love wine he's just got to moderate it and i think most al- alcoholics find some sort of compromise with alcohol so and the question think- is is he going to find his compromise that allows him to be happy or not and it's not answered in this film that's for sure so do you think he has the kind of I mean, we always think it's an addiction. It's a disease. You can't overcome it. But can you balance it? And oh, yeah. People, ba- people balance it all the time. Just walk down well, the street. If he, if he, you know, if he picks things up with Maya and that's mm-hmm. going well and his writing gets some legs and he has some success, uh, do you think the he would dial back? Like yeah, the, absolutely. The alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's yeah, an interesting component nobody ever talks about. You're either on or you're off, right? You're either an alcoholic and it destroys you, or you're cold turkey, uh, you know, going to AA and, and a born again Jesus freak. Well, I don't think, I just don't think we've talked to enough people who have faced that problem. I don't have a problem with alcohol simply because alcohol makes me sick if I drink too much of it. I, I couldn't really get well, addicted to yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, um, I'm with you. And, and and I'm sort of lucky that way because I'd probably turn to it if, you know, in depression, if it didn't just make me so sick. Um, but um, I think a lot of people make this compromise, but they don't talk about it. Why would you talk about your own personal weaknesses with strangers? Maybe if you had a real good friend yeah. who fought it and you were open enough and somehow broached the subject, you might be able to have a frank discussion about it. If the person had even come to the self-realization. So on the flip side, you have Jack, who's a basically a sex addict. I mean, is he not? Is he not a sex addict? Well, that's the thing with Jack. That's why I think they're reflections of each other. Miles' great passion and his great foible is alcohol. And Jack's great passion and great foible is his charm. Was it his charm or his, his ability to, uh, he just can't help himself. He just he can, has to. Well, women, he needs to, he, need, he really needs to fuck. He, yeah, he's a sex addict just like Miles is an alcoholic. They both have a, uh, Miles has a skill of wine appreciation that's linked to his, to his demon. And Jack has a yeah. great ability to, to woo and appreciate women and it's linked right. to his need to constantly have strange sex. Yeah, like to have his bone smooched and his joint worked. <laughs> and you know the thing, the thing, uh, the the thing about this movie is it certainly, you know, it has a lot of fun with uh, with Jack. You need to get your joint worked on. <laughs> you know, he's got a couple of really great little bits. Don't you want to feel that cozy little box gripped down in your Johnson? Hey, I'm keeping it down, buddy. I know that's a favorite favorite of yours. I mean, that's a, and there's and there's a few other ones like when he's talking about the fat chick and he's like, "Well, that's two tons of fun." Oh yeah, right. Or when they go yeah. have breakfast right at the beginning and he's checking out the, you know, the eighteen year old waitress. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's and he's down at the hot tub. He talks about how hot there's just some cook right. girl with a kicking bod down there. He just always right. is interested in fucking, and he's a handsome, charming man. So he does a lot of fucking, and you're right. People would probably categorize him as a sex addict. And you're right. I mean, the thing, this movie's a little more straightforward with Jack's uh, issue. Uh, because I think Jack, in a way, is a little more self-aware. And it's weird because Jack sort of played as a bit of a simpleton. But yeah. I think Jack understands 
that he needs strange pussy. Even, <laughs> strange. That's the right even word. goes so far as, and I'll play you a little clip where he, he just says it to Miles because Miles can't understand it because even if Miles wanted to fuck every woman he's seen, he sees, he doesn't have the skills to do it. He's physically unable to do it. He's not handsome and he's not charming. Yeah. Being not handsome is, is hard. And being you, not charming is a double whammy. I mean, being problem. handsome and charming, it's probably easy to pull down tail if you're so inclined. So here's, here's Jack basically saying as much. And I know you disapprove, and I respect that. But there are some things that I have to do that you don't understand. And you understand literature, movies, wine. But you don't understand my plight. And because during that scene, Miles doesn't understand even what he's saying, even though he's being said straight out that I need to fuck strange women. It's just something right. I need to do. And I can't stop. It's just part of me. I love wooing women. I love that romance. He loves falling in love. He falls in love with I Stephanie. Yeah, no, he, he loves all of that. He loves, <laughs> he loves the romance. And it just, it's his thing. It's just as like sticking your nose in a glass of wine. And, and, it, it, what's so wonderful about that is just a couple of minutes later, you see the problems that arise from his innate charm. I know I fucked up. I know I did a bad thing. All right. And I know I'm a bad person. I know I am. But you got to help me. You have to help me, Miles. And that's just that's terrible. That scene is a terribly haunting scene. Well, it, it's, it's well, his because- desperation. Yeah, and and you don't you get the quiet desperation from Miles because there's like definitely scenes where he has those puppy do- that puppy dog eye, you know, and, or those puppy dog eyes, and he's just almost ready to to cry. But it's not as it's not as uh, I want to call it pathetic or immediate as that scene with uh, Jack where he's pleading, you know, with with Miles to go back and, and get the. Uh, Fucking dolphin mm-hmm. ring with the Sanskrit in it or whatever. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> it sounds so cheesy. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, I don't think I understand Jack. I don't understand his plight. I, I don't. I mean, uh, I, I I've known guys who uh, can't just can't stop talking about poontang and are constantly obsessed with it and making comments about it and uh acting on it occasionally but uh for me it just maybe it's my libido or the way i you know i guess uh where i came from that i just it's a little bizarre i guess i don't understand it but uh, well i think i think you it doesn't need to be sex it can be it's exactly basically is the same things as miles wine they're basically the I think the workings of the mind and the the consequences that come as a mat, a fact of it are exactly the same. And Jack's just more aware of it than Miles. Miles, strangely enough, is in his alcoholism is is amazingly he's so blind to it. He never realizes the problem uh, all the way to the end. But Jack knows he has a problem, and he, at least he knows he has a problem, even though he can't do anything about it. I think it's worse for Miles because he has a problem. And he doesn't realize it, and there's nothing he can do about it. And to be honest, maybe I've sympathized over these many watchings with Miles so much that I was a little blind to his alcoholism as as the main uh, dysfunction in his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a symptom 
of his dysfunction, necessarily mm. not the cause of it. Uh, he's taking so. serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and he's an alcoholic. Yeah, I, alcohol is not what his brain needs to be happy, but uh, it's sort of he's he's married to it, and he'll have just have to find a compromise that works. And all that all we can do for Miles is hope. Right? Uh, no, it's a, it's well, it's a, it's an interesting uh, comparison. I don't think I would have. Uh, discovered until now talking about these two characters that they're sort of uh two sides of the same coin uh there's a, a chasm of uh, misunderstanding between the two of them uh it's also interesting the friend dynamic because they're friends that aren't they're not recent friends they're friends no. back in the day where before their molds were really cast they were freshmen friends in uh college well they're friends back in the day but he's his best man at his wedding well so they're closer than that either either they're really close friends and they certainly argue like an old married couple oh yeah i mean they've been friends long enough where you could go tell the other guy to go fuck off and it's not gonna well we've been friends for how long now 21 years yeah but i wasn't the best man at your wedding what's that (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have a best man. Uh, Sorry. No, didn't. No, no offense. But, uh, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, you know, so maybe. But, but it's, interesting. Uh, it's interesting about Miles. They are a little bit of an odd couple. You would think that with Jack's innate sense of charm, which certainly is his curse and his gift, um, you would guess that he might have a maybe a, a larger friend network of rowdy guys. But I think maybe the fact that he, he uses this charm solely to to slay pussy. Yeah. Right. Um just to use the technical term. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh that he sort of neglected developing a larger friend network. And I think maybe that's the same case for Miles. Maybe they're both maybe they are a real sad character, sadder than we think. Uh they well, yeah. I mean, well then there's the I guess the causes of Miles' dysfunction and and alcoholism and it's obviously parent based uh i didn't quite okay so he wrote the novel i don't, I don't know we'll go, yeah go ahead. about what was it taking care of his dying father or something of that nature well there's and, a lot of little clues dropped about his earlier life and i really only really paid attention to him here is that his dad had a stroke at some point and he cared for him and his dad committed suicide yeah as a right. result um, and then his uh and then there's the scene where he's taking the money from his, his uh, mother. Right. And Which is so, sort of interesting. I think, you know, in the way that just shows his desperation that even at 40, he needs to reach back to his mom. And he even is willing to just take money from her when she'd be willing to give it to him to fund his yeah, no. trip yeah. up to wine country. Right. I mean, that is really weird. And it really sort of goes to how pitiful uh Miles has become. That's, it's a real hard scene to watch, especially multiple times where you go, oh, he's going to go upstairs and take a few hundred out of his mom's little uh, kitty of uh, money. That's, right. And that's and you the know point if, of like, his visit. If he, pulled, if he pulled her aside and, you know, told her what he was doing for him and he's short on cash, she would have just gave it to him. But yeah. he couldn't. He couldn't even do that. <laughs> and then he snuck out of there in the morning. He just can't be. I mean, he's forty. He can't be honest with his mom to say, "Look, me and my friend, we're, we got hotel reservations up there. I want to stop by and say hi, but we got to get going." 
Right. I can't. I can't right. go have lunch with my sister, who's a total fuck up, just like the yeah. sister in the book is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And why can't he be honest with his mother? She seems like a nice lady. I don't know. Uh, there's some some history, obviously. Some, uh, you know. Uh, well, there's some history, but to, who doesn't have history? Well, when she's talking about how he should get together with his ex-wife, and uh, she almost kind of lays the blame at his feet for well, why that prob- went south. And, well, probably because the blame needs to be rested at nah, his that's feet. That's true. Yeah. He probably deserves that, it. She seems like that, a nice old lady, and it's his mom. He shouldn't treat her with such disrespect. It's really, it's really, really sad and really makes me not really like Miles. So can you understand why a lot of people didn't like this movie? Because a lot of people I know didn't like this film. And well, I, can I can only see think how it's you... because the, the characters are somewhat, uh, I guess they're pathetic and a little detestable. Well, you know? maybe people, I mean, I think a lot of people don't like looking into, either they're not pathetic, they don't have a pathetic bone in their body, or they're too frightened to look at their the elements of their themselves that are pathetic like these characters, their own deep faults, their own self-destructive behaviors. And if you're not willing to look at your own, I don't think you can really look at a character in fiction who has these foibles laid bare. It would Man, be it's very ha- uncomfortable. It's, it's really hard to look at yourself objectively, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I think it's uh, it's well, it's terrifying <laughs> to be honest. You know, yeah. And you look into and the I void. tried, I, I tried to 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 have an objective eye about myself, and I don't know really because I have this sort of uh, fossil of a twenty-somethings opinion of myself, and it's definitely antiquated. It's definitely out of date, uh, but it's still stuck there. And then I'll pass by a mirror, and then I'll look at uh you know my sagging belt line and <laughs> my jowly face and uh i'm like you know that that guy i don't think ever existed and it's definitely not you now and you need to sort of recalibrate i love it but, after a couple of days of not getting enough sleep that just the deep blue pools of blood that form under my eyes <laughs> like at six like, in the morning when I before I've had coffee, I look into the mirror and go, Jesus, who's that old fuck? I looked uh <laughs> I looked in the mirror, I was at work today and uh I was in my little area uh working and I wear headphones because it's just too mind numbingly quiet otherwise. And I was in there for a couple hours and then I can go out uh to the restroom and I look in the mirror and I totally had like the alfalfa greasy flip of the the hair standing straight up on on mm. top of my head, like just some unkept asshole, you know, some slouch, some uh, just dopey ass white guy who crawled out of bed and went to work. And I was just so horrified. I was just looking at myself going, oh, my God. I snap out of any sort of predisposed opinion of yourself because that's who you are right now. Yeah, it's tough to I keep up a good appearance. It's It's a young man's game. Yeah, and I'm speaking just from the physical, but then there's a whole – uh, obviously uh, attitude component that uh, I don't think I'm uh, I've completely uh, reconciled as being honest with myself you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, well, yeah. getting back I just want to talk a little more briefly about miles because he, he's a little tougher nut to crack basically because I think he still has his shell around him there's one point in this movie where miles is actually really honest with us as he's honest 
with uh, the Maya character. Now, his honesty only goes so far as to talk about something else in place of himself. But I think it's pretty obvious what he's talking about in this scene. It's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? It's thin skin, temperamental, ripens early. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and uh, thrive even when it's neglected. Nah, Pinot needs constant care and attention. You know, and in fact, it can only grow in these really specific little tucked away corners of the world. You know, is that yeah. too heavy handed? By the, it's by a the, little. By the, I mean, I saw that the first it, time. It's yeah, pretty. No, I did too. And then yeah. the the text, the stuff that follows up with Maya's, is not as well written. Where she well, talks about all the hands <laughs> that have touched the grape yeah, and the history. Uh, uh, That's yeah. this is. This is very poetic in, yeah. in, in a straightforward way. And the second part is a little ham-fisted. And that little scene, it's just a little too cute altogether. It is. I don't know what I, you I think. Didn't... I mean, it's, sure, it's true. No, I'm with you because, it, because his is uh, obviously more poignant and it's obviously more specific and you get it right away. But um, the, thing, the, the, the thing I found a problem with it, I think, that really disturbs me is that Miles doesn't see it. Miles talks oh. about Pinot Noir and he's talking about himself, but he the character doesn't realize it. It just doesn't. It's just a little too cute. Miles is a little uh. too smart to talk about Pinot Noir, but not realize that it's a reflection of himself. Does he see it? Is he saying that to this woman? I don't think he does. It's. It could be an honest stab at relating, you know, to sort of uh, hope she gets it. I don't know if she got it or not. Uh, obviously, yeah. when she goes, oh, she, she gives her it. little soliloquy. It, it to me fell a little short. But she goes on, and it's sort of uh, freshman English, uh, yeah. I guess, uh, waxing philosophical about. I mean, it was, it was pretty. I just, I, I don't know. I'm torn whether or not Miles knows he's talking about himself or not. There. Uh, I hope. He, I hope he knows. Otherwise, he's <laughs> no no writer. The screenwriter knew it. So yeah, I don't oh, yeah. know if the direction was, you know it too, so act like you're describing yourself or something yeah. like that. Look, if my mother watched the movie, she wouldn't have got it. Okay. But <laughs> I think a reasonable person probably would have got it. We'll, we'll, we'll draw it at that then. Mm. <laughs> uh, an interesting uh, statistic, uh, Pinot Noir sales went up by 16% after this movie came out. Uh, Merlot sales went down by 2%. After this movie came out, <laughs> I don't know if that actually has any. I think the Pinot, uh, since there's not a lot of Pinot, uh, that correlates. But the Merlot, I'm not uh, so sure about. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. I've never had a problem with Merlot. It's a little too heavy for me. Yeah, but, it's a little too uh, heavy for me too. It's kind of the stout. I'd rather go with the Cabernet Sauvignon. I like a good Zinfandel. I'm a Zinfandel guy. I like, I like uh, light, Syrah I like maybe is pretty good. Yeah, Syrahs and Malbecs. And, see, there I go. Look at me. I'm just a big hypocrite. There you go, Mr. Wines. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, this movie's fucking funny. I guess that's the thing that needs to be said about it the most. And, yeah, it uh, is pretty funny. And that's why I like watching it because uh, the funny scenes, like you just you're getting ready for the funny. And they're like, uh, they always entertain every time. Um, yeah, this movie does have, I mean, this, you know, with all this serious, with these two 
terribly faulted characters. It's amazing how much humor they put in there. It really lightens yeah. up what is un- the the main storyline of this movie is very sad, but it's just such a fun. It's so fun while you're on the ride. It's it's it's, re- it's I think it's a real deft screenwriting hand or director hand or both. I guess. Well, uh, there's the scenes where Miles has to go out and basically entertain himself while uh, Jack's off fucking around with Stephanie. That's and funny. No, it's not funny, but I can relate to it. And it's kind of like there's a scene where he's in the hot tub and he's grading papers with his glasses on. And it just seems so. <laughs> I don't know. It seems kind of pathetic, but funny at the same time. Because I could see myself doing something as. Uh, I don't know, trying to trying to uh, do two things at once, you know, not really having a good time, but trying to. Oh, he's just so desperate. He goes to the bar and just gets, he spends the whole night there just getting wasted on wine because he's yeah, depressed. Yeah, that's a, well, that's an obviously uh, sort of a, a sad I mean, scene. Uh, I guess the funniest parts of this movie are maybe the, uh, I mean, the funniest part is the whole uh, wallet incident. That's just fucking. Oh, hilarious yeah. <laughs> he's creeping through at... that messy house that's just <laughs> and that that grubby looking guy is just fucking the shit out of his girlfriend you know, <laughs> know. and he well, sees we the wallet about... that's just i know it, i was looking i was looking at that scene a little closer uh, who's on the tv I, by the way who is on the tv it's rummy <laughs> and bush the dumber yeah, I know. That awesome. Isn't that funny? I never noticed that until I watched it. It must have been the fifth time. I, I said, holy shit, what the fuck was on that TV? <laughs> That's right. It's Rumsfeld and Bush having some kind of fucking press conference oh, like six that in the morning. Cracked or me up. Oh, yeah. my God. And he's Plowner, and uh, he's into the same thing that uh, on a previous con- a podcast. Oh, he likes being cuckolded. About, about uh, Hulk Hogan. Uh, who Hulk Hogan's friend? Yeah, friend who enjoyed being cuckolded by uh, his wife, and and so yeah, that was that sex tape. And so here you get the same thing where she's out fucking around with random people, and he's into it. I, you know, know, let's think about that for a second. Let's say you got home and you found your significant under. They could be male or female, whatever you like. <laughs> getting getting fucked. Somebody has dick is inside them. Yeah. Now, I'm going to say I'll probably be pretty pretty sad about the whole incident. I might be pissed off right away. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to get a raging heart on an hour later and go yeah, in the exact place, same place that stranger's dick has been. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I just It sounds sort of gross to me. Now, I know sex is messy and it's sloppy and it's gooey and there's a lot of fluids yeah. exchanged. But I I mean, I I just don't want some random... I don't want to exchange fluids. Ugh. I don't know. It just grosses me out. Doesn't it gross well, you out? Uh, well, I think it's all gross. I mean, maybe if I knew I, the guy, we had dinner, we had drinks, so I could tag team with him if I like the guy. But I guess I don't know where the kink comes from. Uh, and that's part of a kink, I that's guess. That's part of a kink. Just, you just can't get it unless you get it. You just don't get it. And so, uh, you know, like there's the kink of guys who like to dress up and w- put women's underwear on and it's not like they're transvestite or transgendered it's just their kink and so they'll yeah. put women's underwear on and then they'll mm-hmm. go to work and you know that'll be fine but that's it they go to work like, what do you mean by they go to work you mean like work work or they go to work on themselves well probably both but they, they like <laughs> you know they'll put on they'll put on the uh, uh bra and then put on the dress shirt with the tie you know and go off that to sounds the uncomfortable. office 
That does. But uh, that that's their thing. And so I don't – yeah, but this one's even more bizarre. I'm like, I just – I don't I don't even – it would be sad, and I guess I would be like, you know – I'd probably be more sad. It's like, oh, yeah, it's like sad. when somebody, it'd be sort of like when somebody runs into your car in the parking lot, like you're sitting in your car and you go, oh, you're going, oh, it's going to be so much paperwork. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to get a rental car. We're going to have to exchange. I'm going to have to have a bunch of dealings with some dipshit, but even worse. Oh, I'm going to have to break up and move into an apartment. Right. Oh, right. we're going to have to divvy up the dogs. Oh, Jesus. It's going to be I so know. much work. I'll have to file. See, I'm going to have to go back on dating sites and find somebody else. Oh, it's going to be so much work. <laughs> See, you and I are, are, are uh, I guess, middle-aged enough to pass the jealous rage part of that whole uh, uh go right to the pain in the ass part of it. Yeah, no. Like, if we were, like, like 22 and, you know, uh, a little bit more testosterone and uh, uh, cheap beer fueling us, I think we'd be, like, swinging fists and going into a rage and showing oh. – showing, so-and-so who's boss but we're just like we're just, we just go immediately to the sad well like, i think it's well, because you've you know you're gonna have to do all the things you've done before i mean everything's fun the first time right but it's yeah, nothing. No. i don't find anything nearly as fun the second time you do it and that apart searching for dates online and hunting for apartments is not my idea yeah. of a fun time Right, I would think of just the the how how my back would hurt after moving boxes out of the oh. house all day, and oh, how Jesus. hungry I would be because I wouldn't have eaten anything because I just want to get it fucking over with, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, it'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. The last thing I would do is get a Woody. <laughs> no, no. Oh my God, that's like uh, me getting all getting getting all prone thinking about going out and doing yard work. I, I don't know. <laughs> But some dudes are into it, and so this guy's totally into having his chick fool around on him. But that house, I, I, the art direction, I, do they just go like find the shittiest house on the block and go, hey, can we film in your house for this morning, and is that cool? Like, how do you decorate a house to look that shitty? Didn't look bad, that bad to me. How do you decorate a house like that? I, I don't know. I mean, it you don't. Look, it looks so authentic. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of cheap furniture and stuff and unfinished oh, house shit projects. everywhere. Yeah. And then you get to see uh, the dude's wiener. It's like the only shot of nudity. In oh, that is so funny when that guy's chasing, coming out to the car, and his dick just slams against the driver's <laughs> side window, and they're trying to get away. That's, that first time I saw that, I was just howling, howling in laughter. It's just, he runs in and grabs the wallet, then scoots I mean, the incredibly, I mean, Miles is so unathletic. He's in such bad shape. Yet he's, he needs to do like a sneak and then a, a, a runaway. It's just hilarious. Because... <laughs> yes. Because, um, well, you can tell what's going through his mind. He's like, okay, obviously, I, you know, maybe knock on the door, have an adult conversation, try to reason with this goon, you know, maybe get the wallet back, maybe I'd have to pay the guy off, whatever. But he's sitting there at, at the door and he's like, you know, I could probably get away with this. I could probably, if I just did this, you know, yeah. the guy would, by the time he pulled out, I would be near the front door and <laughs> we could just call it a day. You know, and so he goes for the shortcut and it works. But I mean, I probably would have done the same thing. I was like, I just fucking grab that wallet and get the fuck out of here. I don't care if, you know, some maniacs chasing me. I just hope he doesn't have a gun, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, it, it was just, that was just, that was just absolutely goddamn hilarious. A mix of everything. Physical yeah. humor and uh, just sort of tension. Very nice. 
I also found the setting, was it Olivas or Olivos or Los Olivos or whatever, California. It had like a weird Danish theme. Did you get that? Like it had. Well, they went to the uh, Pancakes house. Yeah, you're right. And they had some of that. Uh, I think there's quite a few little towns. I mean, we're, of course, familiar with uh, Leavenworth. Yeah, we but have I think But I think it was sort of a thing that a lot of towns did to uh, to get some tourist business. You know, it's an interesting part about America that most people in America are of German descent. That by far is the greatest percentage of our heritage in the United States. But after those two wars, yeah, I think people like sort of covered it up that. a little bit. But the, right. I think there's still these bits that are remaining of our German heritage. If it wasn't for these wars, we'd probably have a lot of German character in this country, a lot more than we, than we do now. You see it every once well, in a while. Well, it's interesting because, yeah, like, I, like you mentioned, Leavenworth, which is a kind of a resort town in the Cascades around here, but it has the same kish and it's so cheesy i i don't even but we still like enjoy it like uh, rose and i went out to leavenworth and spent a weekend and we stayed at some uh what do they call them pension house you know they even give it a european name and it had the the whole alpine thing going and you know the guy in the morning he seriously he was dressed in later hosen serving us our continental breakfast i shit you not and uh, it just seems so contrived. Lederhosen? Yeah, he oh, was in Lederhosen, like out. eight in the morning. Some like sixty year old dude. You know, would you like more coffee? Like, uh, okay, dude. <laughs> you know, I really like how they treat the town. I also, you, one part I really like about the movie that really makes it feel grounded in modern America is that these guys' hotel and their favorite restaurant is a walk, walking distance, but they have to walk past a car dealership. I know. Yeah, that's <laughs> Isn't the that thing great? That- the They're on vacation, about, but they still have to walk past the car dealership. That's the thing about uh, the U.S., and I've railed against it in previous podcasts, but it is so horribly unwalkable. It is like – it's like an almost an insult to the pedestrian everywhere you go in in this country. And, uh, you know, there's no management of space. There's no sort of human – uh, nobody takes into account sort of the human element of how spaces are developed. And like walking on that shitty sidewalk, was there even a sidewalk on that road? No, I think it was just a curb they were walking past. Yeah, a curb from your motel, it wasn't a hotel, to, uh, yeah, the restaurant. And it's just like, oh, it's just so depressing. <laughs> you know? and you're supposed oh. to be on vacation and all that You'd, good stuff. I think if you know if you really wanted to peg some drunk drivers – it seems like where you'd want to hang out is wine country. You probably just reel them in. You just get, you wouldn't have to even leave your car. You just pull over random people. I bet a huge percentage of those people during these wine tastings are blitzed. They make light of drunken driving in the film, which I thought was verboten circa 89. You know, they talk about, well, we're going to start north because we want to be close to the hotel by the time we're totally shit-faced and driving back. You know, know, this is is probably one of those situations where all the business owners, which are all the people paying taxes are the wineries, and they go down to, you know, whatever Jim Bob, the the sheriff is, and go, hey, look, we got three months of the year. You just lay off during the day, right? right? When it gets dark, you know, go out there and bust them, but... In the middle of the day, you know, we're selling a lot of wine, and these guys right. are going to have a few drinks. You know, we'll call you if somebody's really blitzed. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, lay off the, the point one drunk driving. Right. They, have, they have to do that. Otherwise, you could just be, the CHP could just be pulling over left and right. 
Well, there's the limos, and that's the big thing. Mm. And they even have the 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 like mini buses, you know, like sort of get on a bus and stuff like that. So they've tried to mitigate it to a certain extent. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they would have to definitely understand that uh, if you're pulling, if there's a car pulling into the winery, people are in there drinking, and will be soon leaving that winery, and they will have alcohol in their system. So uh, you would have like. Uh, you know, a, a wake of vulture cops hanging out on the road, just ready to bust all those guys. But they obviously don't because it would be bad for business. You know, <laughs> if each each winery was plagued with cops, there's got to be a there's a simple solution to this. I mean, I understand that you need a building near some of the vineyards, at least where you make the wine. I mean, it's a process. You need some equipment. And you need to cook it up and do all that and bottle it. But why couldn't, for the tasting, why couldn't there be like a farmer's market except for wine tasting? Well, you've been I out mean, to For tasting, right? all you need is glassware and and some bottles of wine. You don't need to go out and see the, you know, the, the cookers, right? Oh, yeah. You, yeah, well, in Woodenville here, uh, in Woodenville, Washington, there's, uh, I guess it's like almost a, I want to call it a business park, but all the eastern Washington wineries are set up there. So you can go do tastings and wouldn't. Oh, they each have a storefront. Yeah, and you, well, go, you go in. Problem and solved. They have the uh, you know they might have uh, some souvenirs and whatever and and maybe some demos and stuff. But yeah, it's just a bar and you know they got the wine there and uh, they just have to truck it over from Eastern Washington. It's no big deal. Well, they're gonna be trucking it over anyways because people are gonna buy it. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that you're not surrounded by vineyards, I guess it's it's part of the aesthetic it's not necessarily necessary like you said yeah especially with drunk driving be such a big deal like it is these days you gotta yeah. expect people are doing that people are really i mean i don't know i mean when we were just 20 years ago it was more acceptable to drunk drive and yeah like 40 years ago you just drove drunk that's what you did right well yeah oh then no there used to be ads in the back of uh i mean you didn't drive school. when you were stumbling drunk but if you weren't stumbling drunk, look, you, you can make it home. My mom used to, she collected these old 50s, 60s uh, women's magazines. I don't know, well, that look or some of those. And you look in the ads and uh, <clears throat> they're ads for like coffee and cigarettes uh, with the uh, tagline that you need to wake up after a party or something like that. There's some mm-hmm. sort of connotation that you're blitzed and coffee is going to get you sober for the road you know there's like a yeah. picture of like a wheel and somebody sitting behind it or something you know so oh. wouldn't it be better with a like a cup of folgers to yeah so oh there's a lot more acceptance ways, man. i was taking a drive in some hot weather a few days ago and i had some groceries in the car and there was a couple of frosty beers in there and i was like oh fuck it would be so <laughs> nice just to crack one of those fuckers open and drink it while i'm driving in this hot weather yeah. it'd be so fucking nice but that's the way it is, man. Dude, just waving around with a loaded gun is what you would be doing. Just yeah, waving it with, around in public. Yeah, my one beer being diluted into my like 290 you, it, pounds. It's like waving a Glock around in a stadium this is what you're doing when you when you have <laughs> when you have even a, a, a taste of alcohol behind the wheel. It's so worse than when I wave my dick around in a stadium. <laughs> Depends on exactly the uh, context of that dick waving. I think uh, under certain... Uh, certain conditions that might be acceptable, but uh, I think uh, most likely not. 
Mm. If the Trinitron captures you with your wiener out, I think that's a big deal. But uh, who tra- who captures yeah. me? The Sony. Tri- it's not a Sony Trinitron. That's so. Now way. that'd be fun. You know, they have the smile cam. They should have yeah. the genital cam. <laughs> that's right. that's that would that would add some excitement to the game. I'd, I'd like paint. that. You could paint like Sounders FC and and well, uh, the like smile cam's already always brought to you by your local dental insurance company. Right, the smile cam brought to you by oh, right, Sunshine right, right. Dental. Well, it could be yeah. the uh, genital cam brought to you by Planned Parenthood of Seattle. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, way past due, so let's get into the Ebert. Ebert reviewed this movie. On October 28th, 2004, uh, he gave it four stars, which is uh, pretty good for Ebert, considering that's his top score. Um, he starts by talking about Miles. He says, uh, no wonder uh, his unpublished novel is titled The Day After Yesterday. For anyone who drinks a lot, that's what the day always feels like. That's sort of <laughs> interesting. He says that uh, Sideways is as lovable as Fargo. Although in a different way. That's interesting. Because Fargo had a lot of humor and a lot of sadness yeah. in it. All little, a lot time. of little vignettes, too. And uh, uh, ve- great, uh, great, uh, some great character, great acting in it. Uh, he says, Miles is not perfect, but the way Giamatti plays him, we forgive him his trespasses because he trespasses most of all against himself. I mean, I guess maybe. He also trespasses against others. And yeah, uses them right. by by his pathetic natures. I can't quite forgive him. Um, he talks about the friendship between Miles and Jack. He said they have uh, they seem to have little in common, and that their friendship endurer endures because they add up to a relatively complete person. Right. I mean, well, may- certainly Miles could use some Jack, and Jack could use some Miles, but they're both terribly hamstrung by their their own personal demon. They've known each other long enough that uh, commonality or having things in common necessarily isn't the most important thing anymore. So, you know, they uh, just kind of they have each other in common, I guess. Yeah, in a way, they both. I guess they're a little, well, as, as I said, they're sort of reflections of each other. Maybe that's how they ended up being friends. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and he talks a little bit about the plot. They end up in wine country. And he says, it makes perfect sense that Miles planned this because whatever an alcoholic says, an alcoholic says he is planning at the most basic level, he is planning on drinking. That's true. <laughs> Which you I think is count on it. That, that's great. Um, he says the movie is the best human comedy of 2004 and surprisingly moving. Um, he says something interesting that I never, I guess I didn't realize in the movie is that you wonder why the Maya character is attracted to Miles. And, uh, but he says it's revealed in the movies that she was once married to a philosophy professor. So maybe he's right. sort of her type. And maybe yeah, no. she's right. got a little bit of a problem with the men she chooses, and she's just going right down that same rabbit hole again. <laughs> so the all sequ- these all these people are just doomed to follow their their predetermined path to self destruction. Yeah, oh, even terrible. Stephanie. Yeah, you wonder if she just keeps getting together with unavailable men. Oh, <laughs> it's terrible. 
It just makes this movie even more sad. Um, you know, Eber talks a lot about uh, Miles' uh, alcoholism. I wonder if Eber had has some insight into that. Maybe he had maybe he had an issue with alcohol know. sometime. Running around with Russ Myers. Yeah. Um, he says that uh, Miles has been uh, in depression for years, and no wonder, considering he's an alcoholic. And he says he longs for the bliss of marriage he he could have had, but uh, was uh, wiped away by his drinking. Um, He says here that I just got to disagree with him about the female characters. He says the women are not plot conveniences, but elements Uh, of a complex romantic and even therapeutic process. I, I, I mean, they're part of a process, but... I th- I find the process to be more dysfunctional than anything. I mean, it's her. I mean, if we take say that Maya is falling in love with the wrong type of man again, she's doing that. Um, I don't see where. I mean, I can see where this happiness will allow Miles to moderate his alcoholism and maybe be more productive. So, in a sense, this relationship is probably good for Miles. But the Sandra O, the uh, Stephanie. Jack relationship is just both of their their own destructive natures in action. Right. And right. I don't think there's really a lot of depth to these women. It's really not studying them. They are uh, they, conveniences. Well, they, they, they fill kind of a, a bit of a stereotype that kind of backfills any sort of personal story that, that may be needed. You, you can wipe a a brush really quickly or draw them really quickly with a brush. And, and I think that's what this movie does. They're not it, poorly uh, drawn, but they're not the no, detailed they're characters. they're just quickly drawn. I just, they're not, they're not, there's, there's not a lot of depth and they are kind of set pieces for the two characters. So yeah, the movie's not uh, about them. And then uh, Ebert goes in to talk about how, <laughs> uh, about the gentlest how her- and most heartbreaking dialogue I've ever heard. In a yeah. Long and time. we just pissed all over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of, kind of amateurish there when uh, she retorts with her the, you know her philosophy of wine and drinking wine yeah he uh, says so. she waits until he is finished and then responds with words so simple and true they will win her an oscar nomination wow we're just cynical assholes are we we just yeah we just pissed right all over her uh i just thought it was a little heavy it was beautiful believe me on the first viewing but it just it was a little a little too saccharine on the second and third it viewings. was so it was very saccharine yeah, I need uh, I need more edge to uh, my literary flourishes. I just need some, I don't know, something a I little think, bit more. I think it would have been better if Giamatti would have stumbled over his description of the Pinot Noir more, like he would stumble over describing himself. He talks about uh, that there are some terrible understandings that take place later in the film, <laughs> which I like. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, the tragedy grows confused with slapstick. And he says that um, the slapstick would be completely implausible had we not seen it coming uh, from far away. And I think the slapstick works really well. It's a great release after some very heavy times. He says, strangely, that uh, happiness is distributed where needed and withheld where deserved. It's withheld. So who's getting the happiness and who's getting... It withheld from them. I don't know. I yeah, mean, the only a... character that really gets fucked over is Stephanie. Did she deserve that? Well, she's uh, she was a little bit uh, 
I would say naive, but she kind of knew what she was getting with Jack. So, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if she deserved to get used. Yeah, well, I don't um, know if she deserved to crack uh, Jack's face in with a goddamn motorcycle. Helmet. Fine with me, man. He deserved it. <laughs> oh, man. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> I did like the nod to the graduate there at that that one scene when they're driving through the tunnel and the. Oh, is that where goes. that's from? It, it seemed yeah. like an older. Sh- it was an unusual shot for this film. The camera, I don't think it. It was. It was a strange shot, and I guess that was from the Graduate, huh? Yeah, okay. yeah. Which is a movie that I. I maybe maybe that'll be my next movie. I don't know. You, but we you know another it. weird thing about how this film was shot, and I I liked how it was shot mostly, and um, was the use of montages. There are four oh, montages yeah. in this film. And uh, and I guess this sort of goes with the heavy use of background music in the movie of the jazz, which I didn't really care for necessarily. But I was just surprised to see so many montages. You don't see that in films a lot. And in a way, it sort of works in this film. But boy, I bet I bet in in a less skilled director's hand, montages really end up sort of blowing. Yeah. Well, it's always used for like a training or building. (laughs) sequence yeah. you know where uh that the, the hero's training or a group of people are building something and they got to play uh uh what's the uh or or in scarface where it's like push it to the limit you know he's making all the money and i wonder if this director <laughs> likes montages i wonder if he uses it in those uh, other films. i can't I, think of election or about schmidt having any montages but, yeah uh, it is a, it is a strange choice but effective yeah it's a daring all choice. right next movie our next film Oh, we're doing Master and Commander, the far, far side, side of, of the, the world. world. Now, I'll tell you, yeah. there's not many movies where I've seen and go, Master and Commander, far side of the world. Boy, I'm looking forward to the sequel to this film. <laughs> and yeah, for some no fucking reason, there's no sequel to this movie. No. I mean, why did Peter Weir not, why not direct a sequel? Because this movie is so well wrought and such a, and it's, a ripping good time and such great acting. It's based on a series of novels, too, I believe. Yeah, and it's, I mean, you're right. It is based on a series. They got all the <laughs> materials just waiting to be adapted for the silver screen. Yet, yeah. uh, I, I just find it a good movie. Now, now, there's some other great movies that Weir's done. He did The Truman Show, which I loved. Uh, he did The Well-Received Mosquito Coast. He did The Gripping Gallipoli, if you've ever seen that. Yeah, that's absolutely. a really, that's a hell of a yeah. movie. Uh, but I really like this movie. I wanted to get something I like. This is my My Like It choice yeah, and i want to make sure choice. i actually had seen it and i'm okay i've seen this movie twice so i certainly okay. have seen it once <laughs> okay. so we're pretty safe now if i come back Good. and say oh i you know i didn't i don't think i actually saw this movie then i'll be surprised because i'm pretty certain i just saw it a few months ago like on tnt all cut up yeah this is one of the movies i tried like one of the first dvds i tried to rip and i fucked it up and since there's so many uh like shots of rigging and sails and all those little lines it just made all the the compression stand out and look terrible so <laughs> i i don't think i've watched it since then but maybe i have i don't remember it's on tv a lot so like you said it might cut 15 minutes here and there of it yeah but boy they get some great action scenes i'm gonna have a blast watching that and uh, this this one may be delayed just depends on our schedules um right. so uh if you if you don't miss it one week uh I think we'll probably get it out there. I mean, this is a pretty easy movie to watch. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see. But if uh, we get a yeah. couple of, of of dark weeks, just uh, yeah, right. hold fast. 
It'll show up on your iPod eventually or your Android right. device. Okay, until then. Yeah. <laughs> Waiter. <laughs> <laughs>